0: I'm super excited about our guest today. Our guest today, 35 years plus experience in making sure that he's successful in real estate investing, protecting himself, protecting his investors and really has developed, uh, you know, what I think is a unique approach to doing this. You know, we all have our unique skill sets, but Scott has really carved out a unique approach here and I want to hear him talk about it. I want to hear him explain it today to, to our uh, to our listeners about what he's created for himself and what he's created for his team and as well as his investors. Uh, Scott Chopin, welcome to the show today. Thanks for being on. Yeah,
1: Joe, great to be here. Thanks Absolutely. for the invite.
0: Absolutely, man. Tell us a little bit about your background. I mean, we, 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 we uh, you know, kind of chatted a little bit before the show mm-hmm. talking about, you know, where you've kind of been and a little bit about what, um, you know, Urban Townhouse is, is, the, is, the, is the company, right? Urban
1: Townhouse. Uh, so, or Urban Pacific is the name of our company, and then Urban Townhouse is the name of the product type, the workforce housing, uh, you know, project type that we build.
0: Well, tell us a little bit about both. What, what does it mm-hmm. look like, and what are you guys actually out there building and creating for folks?
1: Sure. So, yeah, I appreciate that. So, Urban Pacific is a, a real estate development company that I formed uh, 20 years ago. Actually, this year was our 20th year of operations. Um, You know, you mentioned 35 years, family background in the real estate development business. My uncle Mike and my dad, Kerry, were both developers in their own right. Uh, Really, uh, my uncle Mike started uh, in the real estate development business in Long Beach, where we're based in 1960. So uh, I've been around it, you know, good part of my life. Um, Wasn't necessarily going to be the choice of careers that I was going to do when I was like 18 or 19 years old and, you know, didn't, you know, was sort of looking for a career. Uh, but ended up uh, you know uh, getting into the business professionally um, working for a couple different major uh, real estate development companies and then uh, segued into you know being a real estate developer in our own right you know 20 years ago we've always focused on urban housing and in fact the the terminology we use is urban infill meaning it's urban location, and then we're infilling, you know, existing sites, either underutilized or vacant, but they're in an already existing, you know, urban or urbanized suburban fabric. Um, that's always been our, like, gist, and so we, that sort of informs the style of housing that we do. And then about four years ago, we, we saw an opportunity to, like, take a, a fresh look at the marketplace, and and we've always been a company that, that like, Uh, focus on innovation and trying to differentiate our housing type from what everybody else is doing. The development industry is notorious for, hey, when a good thing is, you know, able to be built and developed, like everybody's going to do that thing. So this, you know, this cycle, it's, you know, studio and one bedroom apartments for, you know, Gen Z and younger millennials, right. Who are moving out of the house or graduating from college and moving to the city for their first job, like that kind of thing. And that's a good product, great demographic, in fact, biggest demographic cohort in U.S. history, but also where absolutely every competitor in the United States, the real estate development market and the various cities, that's where they're all competing, right? In new housing uh, for the most part. And so we wanted to go a different direction, have an uncommon offer, something to differentiate. So we created the urban townhouse or UTH model. And really the intention of that is to serve middle income families. So if you think a working class, blue collar, middle income family in a, in a high cost urban environment, so it'd be Southern California, Bay Area, Portland, Seattle, Denver, uh, maybe you know, some of the Midwest markets that are a little bit more expensive, but really where costs of housing are high and incomes are you know below that and, and flat. That's a marketplace that we want to serve, and so we created UTH as a five-bedroom, four-bath townhouse rental model. So it looks like a row home, right? You, you know, you said said you're in Jersey. You know, Philly, the old style, you know, row home in Philly and Baltimore, a lot of East Coast cities. Except we're doing new construction, uh, but it has you know front door porch on one side. On the back side, it has the garage, two-car garage always and then it's a three-story townhouse. So it, basically the way we describe it is it's a, it's a product type that's designed and built to rent, but lives like a house, right? So if a family moves in there, all three floors are theirs, right? It's walk up, not elevator served. It's got the two-car garage. It's a brand new unit, laundry room, five bedrooms, four bathrooms. So we're really trying to appeal to these family groups because that's an, a deeply underserved part of the marketplace. And California, but also as, as I was mentioning to you when we before we started, we're actually seeing an acceleration in roommate, you know, professional working folks who are now being released from locations for their jobs. Like they're working virtually and go wherever they want, and they're starting to now look for the city and particularly the unit type. Hey, I want, you know, five bedrooms. And in fact, one group right now in one of our units, that's three people in a five bedroom unit, two of them are using the extra two bedrooms as their offices at home. And in Mm -hmm. fact, they're just, you know, solely dedicated to work at home. A couple other things, all of our units have a ground floor bedroom bathroom. So part of our uh, intention and ethic about the product type serving families is that we would have grandparents or in-laws in laws that would, you know, live with the family, right? Um, and so the ground floor, bedroom, bathroom serves their, their if they have mobility issues, they can, you know, get into the unit, you know, appropriately and, and still live with the family. So that's, that's a standard uh, part of our product offer. So we're active in Southern California. I think right now we probably six projects that we're active on and in fact i'll just i'll i'll finish here we we actually had always anticipated that during a recession that our product type would accelerate when recessions come families and roommates combine together to share housing and other living costs right that's a economic move that people make in recessionary times and that's been proven and studied you know in past recessions particularly 2008 we saw you know several studies that uh, tracked families that recombined into bigger groups to net, then you know, share incomes and expenses across the family group. Our unit type serves that family, so we're actually seeing an acceleration in the leasing rates. Uh, so, we uh, just finished a project in Orange County, we're leased at five a month, which was you know, probably I can't find anybody who's doing better than that. I've been looking, and then we're two to four hundred dollars a month over our pro forma in the middle of, you know, what we'd say is the most difficult economic environment that I've ever seen, at least economically. Now it's worse. 2008 was harder on real estate, at least residential. Um, But we're, you know, seeing really an acceleration, you know, during this difficult period. So we're happy to be serving families and roommates that need it. And also happy to be, you know, having a product type that's, uh, that's getting better.
0: So many questions. All right. You ready? <laughs>
1: yeah, sounds good. <laughs> that, that, that was, was a awesome. lot.
0: That, that was a, that was a great rundown. I, I, you know, so many questions. So, so you say you're in an urban, you're in an urban environment. Are these mostly like infill lots? I mean, you guys aren't, these aren't yeah. development sites, right? You guys are finding spot lots and, and you're finding places for these, these things to fit
1: Always. In. Yeah. In fact, you know, even before we did Urban Townhouse, the, the product was always urban infill, right? Like we were in a story in 2000 that we go, hey, everybody's building out in the periphery of the city, green people call it, right? It's brand new site, never been, you know, it's always been fallow fields. Maybe it was farmland, maybe it was orange groves. Uh, so we're going back into the city. And we're not usually in the hardcore downtown, but we'll be like, two or three neighborhoods concentrically outside of the central business district. Right. So if you think of like downtown LA, you'd go two or three neighborhoods out and there's a neighborhood called East LA or Boyle Heights. Like that would be an example. Mm -hmm. Um, And then actually we've, really made the most inroads, Joe, in what I call urbanized suburbs. So right now you hear in the media, like people are moving out of the city into the suburbs. Like that's a common thing that we're reading about. And that's true. But what's really not happening that the mainstream media doesn't talk about is people aren't moving from, you know, downtown San Francisco to, you know, a Midwest farm town. That's all rural. I mean, that I'm giving you extremes of like lifestyle, right? Yeah. Sure what they're doing is they're li- moving out of San Francisco and they're moving three towns over, right? That's sub- suburbs, right? Like physically the product type and the housing and the environment is suburb, but it's really part of a major urban Metro. Sure. And that's actually where we're seeing. So we have projects in cities like Fullerton Montebello, El Monte, these would all be, you know, if you looked at them functionally, they're suburbs, you know, no high rises, all low rise housing, um, you know, low-rise commercial, um, low-rise office, that kind of thing, suburban communities, but they've been in existence of suburbs for decades and decades. You know, the city's, you know, periphery is far outside of their, you know, municipality, you know, the, the uh, jurisdictional lines of their city. So these are suburbs that are in, you know, major urban metros. So always that. That's, that's, been, our, that's been our thing from day one. But they're still
0: urban for all intents and purposes. They're, they're places where townhouses exist already and you're finding lots where townhouses have to be built. So, but you only have one model, right? It's that townhouse yeah. model and, and it's got to fit that criteria, which yeah. leads, me to, leads me to say that, you know, how, how far will you skew or, or sway away from that design? Like if you found a lot that meets your criteria... Will you modify that design or does it, does, it, does it fit that box?
1: Yeah, great question. So in the beginning, we were like hardcore, like we're doing one, one unit yeah. type for – design and build efficiency, right? Like this is the closest we've ever come to production housing. Like your home builder yeah. builds build, you know, plan A, B, and C, and that's all they build. And if you want to buy one, you gotta buy, you know, all, all colors as long as they're black, right? Like you know, the old Henry Ford thing. Sure. Uh, we've modified that a little bit. So we have what we call our regular unit, which is you know front door, you know, one side, garage on the on the other side. And then we have another model, which I call the sideways unit. If you take that unit, turn it 90 degrees. So instead of being deep and narrow, it's, you know, shallow and, and wide, right? That kind of thing. And then more recently in the, we have like several projects in the last few months that we, in this acceleration that I described, we picked up a bunch of sites. And what we're starting to do is we'll do as many five bedroom normal UTH units as we can. And then we always have a little fraction of land that's left over that we used to just not utilize, right? Now what we do, though, is we create a two-bedroom UTH unit. So still a three-story, two-car garage, but now it's a two-bedroom. So it's narrower, still three stories. And we have sort of fit it on that fraction of land. And then the other thing that we're doing is in California, we can uh, install accessory dwelling units or ADU in like leftover areas of the site that we can't put a regular unit or what we're starting to do is in that two bedroom unit, we'll call that an affordable housing unit. Like we'll actually restrict the rents for for zoning benefit, design benefit. And then we'll put the ADU in the garage of that two bedroom unit. So the two bedroom becomes a true affordable housing unit, right? For a family that's a low income family. And then this garage turns into a studio. And what we're able to do is utilize already Basically built and paid for space in the garage, and turn that into a studio. And then obviously the studio has a lower rent. Well, you know only usually one studio or two studios max in any size project. So we're doing projects that are anywhere from you know five to eighty-five units right now. And the ADU really works really nicely in that you know five to thirty-unit uh, project size because basically we're able to just you know really create an income source a rental income from a, what would have been a garage, meaning non-producing. Now, obviously that unit, the two bedroom gives up the garage. Mm-hmm. Um, but we always sort of facilitate, you know, that in neighborhoods when, where we know parking is going to be generally okay. Right. If that family has the park on the street, then, gotcha. you know, we'll try to make sure it's appropriate for them to do that. Gotcha.
0: And, you know, and, and again, for our listeners sake, the reason I'm asking these questions, and I'm sure you already, you already know this Scott, but you know, you have to be able to systematize automate and, and, and make efficiencies here to make it this thing monetized, right? I mean, you build right. like new construction and you're turning it into rental rental properties, and that's kind of where I'm going with this is how do we make this thing function so that mm-hmm. you're getting a good ROI for yourself and for your right. investors? Because you want you want long-term hold, like you want to turn these things into rental properties. So you're you're effectively building a brand new construction house and you're making it rentable, which is that's right, which is incredible, right? So yeah. so how do you make the numbers work on these deals? Because, yeah. And obviously the land cost, because mm-hmm. you're buying a little bit outside of the town. Uh, or the city center, right, is, is, is part of that. But I'll, I'll, yeah, let, right. I'll
1: let go into that. Yeah, so it's a great question. So there's several, you know, uh, you know people always want to go, oh, it's this one thing or one or two things. It's really several things that we do that make the model work. Yeah. Um, so land, you mentioned, you know, we are outside the CBD. So there is a little bit of, uh, you know, reduction in land price. But really the main land price reduction we see is that we're an A product in a B and C neighborhood. Right. So we're a brand new unit or two, you know, three story townhouse, two of garage, but we're going to be in like a blue collar neighborhood. And what's what's interesting that, about that is that basically really nobody is competing with us to buy the land, to build other kinds of housing. Right. If you're in a better neighborhood than your actual condo builder might be you know, pursuing it or maybe your guy who wants to do the you know, podium, really high density apartment style with the studios. Right. If you're in a you know, closer to downtown or a high end neighborhood. We're going into working class neighborhoods, and we're and we're totally uh, like settled and enthusiastic, confident, and really seek it out. In fact, I talk to brokers. I go, "Don't send me anything too, in too nice of a neighborhood because I'm not going to you know be able to make the numbers work." So that's so those two, and then on the build side, really the the five bedroom, four bath uh, design because it's a townhouse, so we we make the simplest middle density product we we can't. In in other words, Joe, the way I think of it is we're at the crossover point on a graph of most rent generation for lowest cost, right? So if you went any higher density, you got a higher cost, you get more revenue per unit, but you got a much higher cost to build. If you go lower, like a single family house, you got really cheap to build, but I can't generate enough revenue to make the thing make as much sense. So we up the density, until we cross over for that like perfect point in our minds where cost and revenues are, are, you know, can produce yield, right. To your point, we gotta, Mm -hmm. we gotta monetize these. We gotta be able to pay yield to investors, you know, and obviously yield to ourselves. And so, you know, if you go, you know, above or below that, then the numbers, you know, work differently. And I'm not saying they don't work at all, But at least in our markets in California, in this part of the market and serving this type of family, it's a perfect, you know, space to to operate in. Um, What other things, you know, building methodologies, you know, we're using really old school balloon frame stick bill structures. But when we do a three story structure on grade, it's really simple we talked about the model unit, uh, the, the type of unit, the unit plans, we build the same unit over and over again, right? Same specs, same appliances, same finishes, same countertops, cabinets, same subs really as much as we can. So it really is what I call the home builder model, right? So your home builder, when they build houses and, you know, wherever they're building, they're going to try to just repeat the same thing over and over again and just increase efficiency, decrease mistakes, decrease, you know, odd specifications. Oh, we got this appliance in that unit and that other. I'm like, no, man, I want the same appliances at every, in fact, I just had a call with my architect this morning. You know, we, he had been designing a specific type of metal railing for the balconies. Like we do balconies on all of our units. And he had this really beautiful mesh, you know, steel, look great. Cities love it. And it's awful to build them. Right. And so I go, you know, sorry, architect, I want, you know, plain vanilla straight up and down angled iron that you can buy off the rack. And, you know, yeah, it's not as sexy, but, you know, we're really trying to tweak out all these little cost centers of all these little things, you know, thousand, 5,000 choices of specs and materials that add up and really just always managing those to really keep them as efficient as possible. And, you know, you and I talked about it. We're in California we're the most highly regulated building code in the United States. I mean, you know, every, you know, this year uh, we're mandated now, we have to do solar. It used to be, you know, install future, like, you know, conduit for, for solar. Now you got to actually do solar. It's crazy. And so, you know, that's an example. And there's like, you know, 10,000 other choices like that, that drive up costs. So we really have to spend a lot of time really managing that and working with our subs and working with our designers and just always looking to you know strip out any costs i mean we still need to build a good product right we can't you know build you know junk because we're going to own it for a long time but we would you know build it well anyways but you know do you make a choice here or there is it a or b and b slightly more cost effective and yeah maybe it doesn't look quite as good but it still looks good go you know those kind of choices a bunch of times
0: so they want you like off the grid solar, or you have to have a certain amount of panels per square foot or
1: it'll you... be yeah, it's uh yeah. So each unit has, yeah, right. So it's basically on a I don't remember if it's rentable square feet or per unit, but you have to have so much solar for so much residential space. And then, you know, it's up to us whether we, you know, own that solar as a landlord and feed it into our system and then, you know, then the tenants pay us or you know, a lot of people are just go, Hey, you know, unit A, B, and C each have their own solar installation ties into their sub panel. It does have to have an an inverter. It does grid tie. So we do have to tie it into the electrical system. You know, I mean, we're in California. I'm going to just complain, you know, we're like the rolling blackout center of the United States and we have more solar than anybody. And I'm like, I love solar. I'm I'm a fan of that fan of innovation, but if it's not you know, creating more effectiveness and and either cost or benefit of the use of it, then you know we're doing something wrong. So I
0: think you hit the you hit the nail on the head. I'm a, I'm a big fan of innovation and technology. I don't think it's a proven well enough technology yet. I think we're we're getting there, but yeah. it's obvious to me that somebody's pockets are being lined for that to be a requirement. It's, I think when it's
1: just you know I mean you know I'm gonna you know be a typical real estate developer and complain about government you know oversight and regulation, but you know. We've, the, the technology of storage of energy isn't caught up to the generation of it, right? In fact, by my house in Long Beach where we live, they just, you know, they had an old, you know, gas-fired power plant, right? Like super old, you know, needed to be replaced. Well, they put a battery plant in its place. Yeah. Much, much lower profile, but it's just a big battery. I mean, yeah. for lack of a purpose of, you know, describing it. Um, and that's, and we need a lot more of that. So I think we'll catch up to it, but in the meantime – you know, we can't, we can't handle our own, you know, electrical load, right? I mean, we have these rolling blackouts it's just, it's insane. I don't know what Elon's been sitting on those, uh, those whole
0: house batteries for years, man. I'm waiting for those to come out. Those, those seem yeah. like amazing technology.
1: Yeah, right. Exactly. And, and, you know, it's interesting because one of the things in, in California is there was this battle over having battery storage capacity in grid tied solar systems. You'd go, oh, if I got solar, I should have battery storage because, you know, maybe, maybe I use that, maybe the power goes out. But actually, some, uh, some of the, uh, the, like Southern California Edison and, and PG&E actually bar, prohibit batteries from being tied into their grid-tied solar panel generation for the units. I go, that's, that's silly. But <laughs> like, I mean, if you're going to do it, you might as well have like the full robust, you know, and now you go, well, if we're going to have blackouts, I better have batteries. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I don't want to detract because we're going in the right direction, but I want to go yeah, back yeah. real quick because you were talking
0: about uh, the, the the economic piece of it, and and I want to touch on something. You're essentially doing uh, a modified kind of like a BRRR strategy, right? So you're kind of buying, mm-hmm. building, uh, refinancing these things out, right? Right. And so one of those kind of tricky uh, scenarios has to be for you because you're building in a you know you, you self self you, you even said BC communities. You're building an A class prop. You ever have appraisal issues or anything like that when you're on the refinance side
1: yeah not 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 no not yet but we do our properties do value differently mm-hmm. so you're 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 right on on the money and, and it is you know you know uh the brr method for sure but uh, but really uh, let me start here is in the multifamily business of multifamily development new construction that build it you know, fund a construction loan, rent it up, fund a perm loan, hold it long-term is very typical. In fact, I would probably say that predated the terminology of, you know, you know, sort of the BRR method, right? But it, but it's the same thing. It's just applied in, you know, smaller properties in that. I'm
0: not trying to trip you up, by the way. I was just asking.
1: Oh, no, 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 it's great. I'm just trying to differentiate like the way you're describing it, like, you know, in the like just normal real estate development domain, but you're exactly right. So we have to fund a permanent loan, when we finish it and hold it. And, and also the same when we sell it, right? Because the buyer's appraiser is gonna value it for their loan. Yep. So whether it's a buyer and their loan or us holding it in our loan, it still goes through the same valuation process, right? For
0: sure.
1: Um, so what we end up doing, you know, I mean, typical appraisal, like, you know, we're not appraised any differently. We're still an income producing, you know, residential property with renters and operating expenses and NOI and all that kind of stuff. But because our units are so big, what we end up doing is we generate very high dollar uh, high whole dollar rents so a lot of multifamily you know developers and sponsors go oh i'm getting you know two bucks a foot or i'm getting you know 230 or 150 for that one bedroom right and we do that analysis too but our units really rent on average it's a five bedroom four bath 1750 square feet right now we're averaging renting those between 3500 and 3700 a month that's our our metric right if you look at it on a, on, a, on a per dollar basis, we're like two bucks, two bucks a foot and, and below, depending, you know, on the exact unit size and that kind of thing. Well, in California, that's very affordable, right? Mm-hmm. And even the 3,700, right? If you compare it to a five-bedroom house that you're going to rent, usually we're always under the available single-family rentals in the, in the in the marketplace. So that does sort of throw the appraisers a curve, right? They go, what do I do with this thing? One, there's usually no comps. There's no rental townhouse, five bedrooms, or at least very rare, maybe somebody bought a townhouse and then they rented it out individually, right? Like a single family homeowner. So what ends up happening is on a a cap rate basis, we're producing so much revenue that when we sell a property, we're usually above market on the cap rate. So let's say California is a four cap market roughly, Right, we're usually going to be at valued to the end buyer, or when we appraise the value, usually at five and a half and above on our, you know, cap rate. Right, that's the income generated cap rate or NOI to cost. Right. Yep. On a per square foot valuation uh, compared to comparables, we're actually right in the market. Right, where we end up being limited is in the other way that you value comparables, which is on a per unit basis. So in California, you might range between. I don't know, 250 for older product, maybe 200 a door, up to you know like high end for most new product, maybe 350, occasionally 400,000 a door. Right? We end up valuing on average about 500,000 a door. Right? So in, in fact, if you think about it, right, your average condo in most markets in Southern California is going to be, in some cases, below or above the 500,000 for a comparable size unit. So we're really we're not valued based on the for sale market of condos, but we end up sort of valuing, you know, similarly. Right. And so the limit in our world really becomes that, that per unit cost, right. When appraisal and you go, Oh, I've got the, the, you know, the higher or lower of these valuations that the appraiser is going to pick. And I think that's the market value more often the appraisers are landing on that 500,000 a door. So like right now, new projects we're underwriting like 485 a door, just to be a little bit conservative. We just sold the property in January for 500K a door in, in Long Beach where we're based. <clears throat> and that was, you know, great project, you know, good value. Um, you know, investor is gonna make, you know, making plenty of revenue. In fact, their revenue assumptions are in actuality higher than what we underwrote, just to show that we're a little bit conservative in our underwriting. So that's usually where we end up on valuations.
0: No I really love, I love it because it's the best of both worlds right you're building new construction, you have a long term tenant in play you're getting long term capital gains because you're keeping it for x amount of years right and selling it for market right, market rate so you know you, you're kind of you're kind of blending like all, all the best benefits of real estate investing.
1: Yeah, uh, and it wasn't it, we didn't start out with all those, but as we started to work on this product type of five and four bath townhouses, more and more benefits kept showing up. We go, oh, we got big families. Those are very stable, long term renters, multiple earners, right? And you know, if you got a family of six, you're usually going to have two, three, four wage earners in a household. Well, guess what? In a recession, when job losses start to come, you know, into the marketplace these families are much more robust, right? To, to sustain and stay in place. They're usually family oriented, right? So you got, you know, mom and dad and maybe adult kids and grandma or in-laws, right? Or these roommates that we talked about before, but it makes them much more stable than if you had a studio unit with one person producing an income. If they lose that job, they're out, right? And, and not, not that they're doing anything wrong. They just can't sustain the, like the rent payment. You know, that would be, you know, detrimental, although rent collections, as you've been seeing, and, you know, generally been relatively, you know, relatively good, relatively, you know, in context of the job losses. So we're seeing a similar thing. And so we have this sort of like this little, you know, niche that we're in that uh, is accelerating. So we're, you know, we're enthusiastic about it. In fact, this is the only type of housing that we develop. Just everything is UTH.
0: So where do you see the future of uh, urban Pacific going into 2021? Everything's uh, tumultuous to say, to say <laughs> the least, right? Yeah. What do you, yeah. what do you guys head next? What's, what's, what's yeah.
1: Next? So our ultimate goal for the UTH program is to build uh, own and hold a portfolio of 5,000 units and that, you know, we could probably produce that in California alone. So that really, so we start to like the next step is we build out our full team capacity in Southern California where we're based and where this program started. We want to do 500 units a year in SoCal. Uh, we then moved to San Diego, look at doing 250 to 300 units a year there. Then we go to the Bay Area, right? These are all markets that have that high cost, you know, middle income, you know, differential between incomes and, and housing prices, right? Um, I think there's a story we've underwritten, just, you know, sort of tentative deals in Portland, Seattle, Denver. This model works in all those marketplaces, but, you know, we're, our specialty is California and there's a lot of demand, you know, like just pent up demand. I mean, nobody's really the way to think of it, Joe, nobody's serving these middle-income families, like not at scale. And so we see that as a very deep pool of potential, you know, unfortunately California is doing a a horrible job at keeping our middle-income families. You know, they're all moving to Texas to, you have lower housing costs and probably the same wages as you would get here, you know um, you know, a little bit, you know, better housing and uh, overall living costs. But I think, you know, we're always going to be an attractive force in the marketplace. This is, you know, people want to move to California. We've got that reputation. Hopefully we can maintain it. But the reality is, you know, as, as this sort of differentiation between high income earners and low income earners starts to become more drastic, right. You know, income inequality, the need for housing for those families that, that are at those lower incomes, those you know, service economy families or service economy workers is just going to continue to be like needed. And in fact, uh, Harvard did a study, a uh, joint center for housing studies at Harvard did a study about Southern California. And basically their assessment was for affordable and middle income families and individuals, we were at a million unit shortfall. Like we should have produced a million more units than we have and so if I look at it, I go, look, I'll spend the rest of my life and my career basically building housing for, for these kind of families, these middle-income families. And then, you know, long run is the portfolio is, you know, as you mentioned when we first started talking, I'm, I'm, my existential purpose, like why I do this is to take care of my family. Uh, I have a wife, Becky, we, we've been together and married for 27 years, three kids, uh, 19, 17 and 13. Um, you know, the kids may or may not choose to go into the real estate development business, but I would love to have a portfolio of multifamily that could become their legacy. Um, that, you know, uh, I love my family, but you know, I didn't get that. <laughs> I didn't arrive and, you know, I don't want them to be soft and incapable because the, you know, they never had to go make their own way. But I, uh, I would much rather have had, you know, so, somebody, you know, give me that legacy than not would have made it a lot easier. I'll I'll still do what I got to do right as any entrepreneur would. But I think that's the long-term legacy for me. I love it, Scott. And listen, I I think, I think what you guys are doing is incredible. I think
0: that, you know, that group of people that you're servicing in that, in that middle income class is not going to go away. Hmm. Look, I live in New Jersey. We were talking about this earlier and they've always been talking about the mass exodus of people leaving New Jersey and California and I'm sure there are people that leave our states, but they don't, they don't. It doesn't seem to be less popular when I look around. So,
1: yeah, um, yeah. You
0: know, I think that you're you're we're at, we're at,
1: we're at we're both states are sort of break even, right? We got you know slightly less or more people moving in as moving out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so I appreciate it, man. That was a, that was an excellent uh, excellent interview. Any questions I forgot to ask you? And I know you have um, some 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 places that we can send our guests. That uh, there's some great education and some stuff sure. you want to. You want to give me the yeah, I
1: appreciate that. I would encourage people uh, to go to our website triplewurbanpacific.com, uh, uh, take a look at a couple things. We just actually put up our, our project investments page. so you go in the menu and just see investments and you can look at deals that we're actively raising capital on. In fact, those are all, uh, you know as I stated before, those are all UTH deals all in California. Um, go to our investor education section. Um, tons of videos, articles, you know, investing in multifamily, generally investing in new construction. Like if you're an investor and want to learn about that, you could go to this place and learn. And then I would just offer for anybody who's in your listener pool, if they want to email me, uh, chop and C-H-O-P-P-I-N at urbanpacific.com, email me and I'll put you in touch with our team. We'll give away uh, our free ebook, How to Thrive and uh, Survive a Recession, which I think is an appropriate subject matter given where we're at today. Um, but if anybody wants to email me, I uh, would be happy to you know, share that ebook with you guys. Fantastic.
0: As always, guys, if you're a regular listener, thanks for being on the show. Please, if you found value in today's show, just share it with some other people. Get them to come on board. If you're new and you just started listening today, make sure you leave us a five-star review. We pick a five-star review winner each and every week, and we send you cool, free swag and all kinds of good stuff. Scott shopping thanks for being on the show today, man. Awesome show. I appreciate it. Lots of value. I'm sure a lot of people are going to get some good
1: takeaways from you today. So. Thanks, Joe. Great to be with you.